Let's turn to the serious but joyful business of looking into God's Word together. So let's turn back to our Bibles and to Matthew chapter 6, the passage we had read. I think there's no prizes for guessing the title of the sermon this evening because the NIV, the compilers of the NIV, have given us the title of the sermon, Do Not Worry. And those are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're mentioned three times. They're repeated in the passage, Do Not Worry. There's a certain logic, isn't there, uh, when we look at passages like this, where we see that Jesus tells us that we shouldn't do something, it's a negative thing, do not do something, is that we conclude logically, therefore that thing is a sin. And then we've got a double problem, haven't we? We've got the problem of worry, and all of us worry. I'm convinced that it is, to be human is to worry. Everybody worries to some degree or other. It's one of those emotions that we all share as human beings. But we've got a double problem, haven't we? Because now we're not only worrying about things, but we are guilty as well. So we, we, we're covered with the burden of guilt as well as worry. And the last thing I want to do this evening is to add to your burdens and your problems. I want to follow in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus Christ, because here that is exactly what he's not doing. It's adding to the burden of our worry. He is here coming to lift the burden of our worry and to help us. This is profoundly pastoral. And therefore we mustn't come to it and add to our worry as we look into God's word here. This is a very pastoral passage. Worry is a very painful thing to suffer. Anxiety. And it's a very natural thing. Some of us are more prone to it than others by our constitution, the way that God has put us together. But all of us are worriers to one degree or another. We may become ill through worry and step over into clinical anxiety. And if that's you, then take the medicine that God has provided by his common grace, doctors and nurses and therapies, cognitive behavioral therapy, if you've heard of that, seems to me a very good thing from what I can tell. And the Bible is not against that at all or other good therapies and the medicine God has provided for us alongside, of course, as a believer, the medicine of God's word that we're looking at this evening. So in essence, what I'm saying is this, that worry is not in itself, in essence, a sin. But it can, of course, like all things, become a sin. Anger can be righteous anger, but it can also be sinful, and so too can anxiety or worry. I should have said at the beginning that there's a bit of a preamble before we get into the text. I felt I should say some of these things before we start where Jesus does here on this huge subject of worry. Modern life is very worrying, isn't it? There's plenty to worry about. We live in an information society. Seems to me we know so much more than former generations that there's more to worry about because we know much more. We have global news fed to us every day that tell us about worrying situations. And it's no surprise, therefore, that we become, I think, very often about the things in the world, we become catastrophists. Are you a catastrophist? You've got into a kind of mindset that, that everything is, is black and is doomed to fail. You end up a little bit like Private Fraser from Dad's Army, you know, we're doomed, we're doomed about everything. The question is not whether we worry or not. 
but it's what we worry about. That's what Jesus is dealing with here. Certain things that we are not to worry about. And also the degree to which we worry. Is it valid? The degree to which we worry. And more importantly, what do we do about it? What do we do with our worry? Paul, the great apostle, before we come to Jesus here, expressed legitimate anxieties. He told us about a sick Christian, Epaphroditus. You can read that in Philippians 2, verse 28, that he was concerned about that legitimate anxiety for something. He speaks of daily anxiety for all the churches he felt responsible for. He uses the exact same word here that Jesus uses for worry. The Apostle Paul worried, and yet he is the man who said, do not worry. Do not be anxious about anything, he said. Well, was the Apostle Paul a hypocrite? No, he wasn't a hypocrite. What did he go on to say? Do not be anxious about anything. That's fairly all encompassing. But then, you know how it reads. What does he say next? But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, don't forget the good things, present your requests to God, and then what happens? Something comes down to us from heaven. The peace of God that passes all understanding comes and guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So the Apostle Paul knew how to deal with his anxiety. It's what we do with our anxiety that's the important thing we're thinking about this evening. He was a realist, was Paul, and he was a pastor. That's very pastoral help, isn't it? What he did with his anxiety was he turned to God in faith and in prayer and effectively that's what Jesus is doing here and of course before we get here the Lord Jesus Christ surely in Gethsemane where he told us he was sorrowful to the point of death was suffering the most fearful anxiety as part of his sorrows as he faced the cross so it can't be sin can it to be anxious it's legitimate when The problem is legitimate and it's part of what a perfect man, the Lord Jesus Christ, suffered. It can't be sinful for us. But the question is, what did he do in the Garden of Gethsemane like Paul? He turned to his father in prayer and found the strength to face the next day. So, let's get into the text at last. The big context here is this is the Gospel of Matthew. It's the Gospel of the Kingdom. The Lord Jesus Christ is our King. Our God reigns. We've just sung that, haven't we? This is the gospel of our God who reigns, the Lord Jesus Christ. And here in this teaching, the Sermon on the Mount from chapter 5 to 7 is his manifesto of the kingdom. How are we to live in this kingdom? We're to live under our ruler, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to live differently. That's the key word, to live differently. If you want a text from chapter 6 here, A key text that tells us that. Matthew 6, verse 8. Jesus says, Do not be like them. He's talking in that passage about prayer and other things. We're not to be like pagans, non-Christians, worldly people. We've got to be different as Christians. And that goes for worry and worrying situations as well. We've got to be different. So let's look at what Jesus says here. First thing I want to say of three things is this. Worry is Futile. Worry is futile. Actually, I want to correct that slightly because, as I've said already, we're all born worriers. It's part of our genetics, if you like. There is a usefulness to anxiety. 
There's such a thing as the fight or flight mechanism. Does anybody know what I'm talking about here? Yes? Scientists particularly, biology if you study it. The fight or flight mechanism is when perhaps a big dog attacks you and runs at you in the street and suddenly your body goes into action in the fight or flight mechanism. You have adrenaline flowing, your heart starts to pump quickly, the blood around the body and you take flight. You run away from the dog and it saves you from injury or worse. Or else you fight the dog, perhaps if you're a bit more foolish. Fight or flight. It's an extreme anxiety reaction. So that's useful, isn't it? But what about lesser things that we worry about? How can that be useful? Well, if we take action there as well, as we've said, if we turn to God in dependence upon him and in prayer and come to trust in him more. That's what we should do when anxiety comes to us, to us, is turn to him. So it can be a useful thing to turn us to God, though it's, of course, a painful thing. don't know if you've seen the film Bridge of Spies. Anybody seen that film, modern film, with Tom Hanks and Mark Rylance, I think, is the actor in it as well. It's a Cold War thriller, 1950s film, thriller, about the Cold War era. In it, Tom Hanks plays a lawyer, And he's defending a Russian spy who's been captured. And at one point he turns to Mark Rylance, the spy, and says to him, you do realise that the punishment for your crime is death by the electric chair? And Mark Rylance just nods. And Tom Hanks says, you don't seem to be very worried about that. To which Mark Rylance replies, would it help? It's a good question, isn't it? Does worry ever help the situation? Well, apart from those mechanisms I've talked about, I would suggest to you to worry, to get on the carousel of worry that we sometimes get on that goes round and round and round so that we worry gnaws away at us or else it gets puffed up into a huge problem for us, bigger than it should be, because we dwell upon it and we let it grow. Then, of course, it becomes a problem and it's not helpful to us and we need help to deal with it. But notice here, as we get into here, the the tone of the Lord Jesus Christ is pastoral. It's not the big stick. There is rebuke. We'll come to that in a moment. But it's mild rebuke and kind rebuke that we need. This is helpful teaching. We're taken now into the comforting realms of what we call divine providence. Our God who provides for all our needs. The Lord Jesus points us to The birds of the air and the flowers of the field. It's beautiful and lovely language as we look at it and so helpful. I don't know if you're a a twitcher, is that right? A bird watcher? Is that insulting to bird watchers? I think it's not, is it? You're okay with a twitcher if you like watching birds. Did you know the RSPB uses the words here concerning birds? Look at the birds of the air, verse 26. I originally had it as their motto. There's a piece of information for you to take for quiz night. Consider the birds of the air in Latin was the RSPB motto. But here we're not to consider the birds of the air with our binoculars and look at their feathers and wings and so on, but just to look at their behaviours. The Lord Jesus Christ draws attention to them and how how God the Father provides for them. But before that, verse 25, Jesus says this. Worry is futile because we are precious to God. Worry is futile because we are precious to God. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, 
what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you'll wear, is not life. Your life, my life as a believer, more important than food and the body more important than clothes. We are more important than the material things that we worry about. They're lesser things. God cares for us as his greatest creation, his greatest creatures. We are precious to him. It's an argument from the greater to the lesser. Your life is more important than things, other things that we worry about. You have an immortal soul. God has breathed life into you. You have a body which is fearfully and wonderfully made. Would he take such care in making us and then abandon us to the world and say, off you go. Now it's all down to you. Will he not provide for us all that we need? The food, the fuel for these bodies, the clothes to protect us and extend that. That includes also the homes we need as shelters. Will he not provide for us all these things that he knows we need? Of course not. He will not neglect us because we are precious to him. His precious creation and he loves us. He'll make sure we have all we need for all our allotted days. Birds don't worry, do they? They don't sow, he says, or reap or gather into barns. They instinctively just pick up what God has laid down for them. The seeds, the berries, the fruits around. And we are therefore to learn from them. Psalm 147 and verse 9 says something similar to this passage here. He, God, gives the beasts their food and the young ravens that cry. Bear in mind that ravens were unclean birds. So if God provides even for unclean birds, will he not provide for us, those he has cleansed and purified, sanctified and loves? Reasoning from the greater to the lesser. Also, concerning the birds from the lesser to the greater. We are more valuable than birds to God. And therefore he will provide for us what we need. Verse 27 particularly focuses on the futility of worry. Let's read it. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? We can't, can we? And yet, isn't that one of our greatest worries that we will die before our time? And we worry therefore about our health and our days And yet God says in his word, Psalm 139 and verse 16, all the days ordained for me are written in your book before one of them came to be. All your days are established and written in God's word. So you cannot die before your time. It's an impossibility. George Whitfield said something based on that verse. We are immortal until our work is done. So worry, my friends, is a futile thing because our life is precious to God and he will provide for all our needs until our day is done. And we must therefore trust him like Jesus trusted his father. Jesus as ever shows the way, doesn't he? He personifies in his life the principles he preaches here. He proves them. In the wilderness for 40 days he trusted his heavenly father, to provide for him miraculously. And did he not in his death 
prove how precious we are to the Father and to Him. He gave His precious life for us. We are precious to God. And Paul therefore says, Romans 8 verse 32, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? All those lesser things that we worry about. Worry is futile. We're precious to God, so we must trust Him. Secondly, worry is faith shrinking. Worry is faith shrinking. A man called William Ward said, Worry is faith in the negative. That is this kind of over-anxiety when we let worry grow, as we often do and become all-encompassing and masters, when it begins to master us. What does it do to faith? As it grows, faith shrinks. And God gets squeezed out of our vision. We lose sight of Him. Worry is faith shrinking. Verses 28 to 30 about the lilies of the field and God clothing them and therefore He will clothe us ends with a mild rebuke. Look at verse 30. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Jesus kindly rebukes us here. He doesn't say they have no faith, but little faith. Little faith is big enough to save us, because it's faith in a big God, a great God. Small faith can move mountains, but of course we want our faith to grow, don't we, as we go on in our Christian lives. So that we might deal with our worrying situations we face day by day. We want our faith to stretch, to be as big as our God, do we not? And worry shrinks our faith down and hides our God from our sight. God clothes the lilies of the field so they're more lovely than Solomon in all his finery with his wonderful wardrobe. And here is one greater than Solomon, the Lord Jesus Christ. And has he not, as believers, already clothed us in his righteousness, finer righteousness than or clothing than Solomon's fine wardrobe, or even the flowers of the field? He's provided his righteousness to clothe us in our sin. J.C. Ryle points out that this passage here, this teaching, mustn't make us lazy, by the way. Of course, you know that, that we must work, still go to work. Proverbs 6, verses 6 to 8, using other creatures to teach us, says this, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her, her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, any officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. So we mustn't be lazy. J.C. Ryle says... We must be prudent. It's not against prudent provision, but it is against something else. Listen to this phrase from J.C. Ryle. Does this describe you sometimes in your worry? It's against wearing, corroding, self-tormenting anxiety. That's sadly the case, isn't it? Our anxiety becomes corroding. It shrinks our faith. It torments us. But Jesus is so kind to us. 
and says, Oh, you of little faith. He wants our faith to grow. And of course, it'll do that when we fix our eyes on our God and remember how great He is. Our God reigns. And He is the God with all those infinite resources behind Him, ready to pour out upon us to meet our every need. A God with His everlasting heart of love beating towards us, His people, ready and willing to help us. And instead of looking to Him, what do we do? We look at our problem and we let it grow and we feed it, we feed our worry and our faith shrinks and we lose sight of God. Jesus' remedy is to fix our sight on God and to fix our faith on Him that it might grow, that it might expand. It's interesting in Scripture how often faith is set against anxiety or over-anxiety, you might call it, or fear or doubt when it grows. It's set as the antidote, as it were, faith as an antidote to worry and fear. So, for example, Matthew 8, verse 26, we find Jesus asleep in a boat and there's a storm and the disciples are terrified and they wake him up. And what does he do? Before he rebukes the wind and the waves, he rebukes the disciples. And he uses the same words as he uses here. Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Peter steps out of the boat on another occasion and walks towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 4, 14, verse 31. And he's doing fine because he's got his eyes fixed on Jesus. But then he looks away at the wind and the waves. He panics and he starts to sink. And Jesus has to lift him up and save him. And what does Jesus say to him as well? The same words as we have here. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? How we need our faith to grow from little faith to big faith by fixing it on our big God. And again, it's Jesus who fulfills his own word here because he was the man of faith. His life was a life of faith. He walked by faith in his heavenly Father depending upon him. Miraculously in the wilderness, those 40 days. And then God provided through those wealthy women who opened their purses and provided for him during his ministry and those friends whose homes he stayed at like Lazarus and Martha and Mary, God provided for him. And so he faced life fearlessly, even the death of the cross. And we are to imitate him. The same provisions he depended upon are available to us. So first of all, worry is futile because we are precious to God and he's promised to provide for us and our needs. Worry is faith shrinking. Let's ask God to grow our faith to be big faith by fixing our eyes upon him. But finally, worry is future fantasy. Worry is future fantasy. Verse 34, let's read it together. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Isn't it the case that so often our worries are focused on tomorrow? The things we don't know will happen are often terrifying to us. We are to live in today. We are li to live for today. Not like the pagans of verse 32 who run after all these things they think they need. 
not to eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. Not living in that way in today, but trusting God for today and all we need today. Praying in the Lord's Prayer, give us today our daily bread. We're to live in today and let tomorrow take care of itself. We're not to import from tomorrow all its imagined problems into today to make today more difficult is what Jesus is saying. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now that doesn't mean we never think about tomorrow. There's that prudent provision that uh, J.C. Ryle spoke about. Here, if you've got the authorised version, it's not so helpful where it actually says, take no thought for tomorrow. What, of course, it means is take no anxious thought for tomorrow. Don't be overwhelmed by the anxious thoughts about tomorrow. But we are to take thought about tomorrow. Jesus here is very much making us think, isn't he? Consider the ravens. Be reasonable. Reason these things out about how God will provide. Consider the birds. Consider the flowers. Let's not take no thought and be unthinking. But don't overthink. Isn't that often our problem? We overthink tomorrow and the things that we make provision for. We, we over-imagine how things could go and we imagine all kinds of future fantasies and things that are going to cause us problems and of course they never happen. The word here for worry that is used for anxiety is merim now. Greek word meaning to be anxious or careful with distracting care. Now that's the key thing here. And that's the problem with anxiety when it's out of control, this over-anxious state we get into. It is distracting. It distracts us from serving our God the way he wants us to serve him. You see, in verse 33, Jesus says to us, what we are to do as first priority is to seek his kingdom and his righteousness. And then what happens, all these other things are added to us as well, all the things we need. We're to put him first. It's a case of priorities. Not that we never think about other things, but about where our focus is. What are our priorities in life? If anxiety grows out of proportion, then we are distracted from seeking first the kingdom of God. The same thing is spoken of in the parable of the sower. Remember the warning about the seed which fell among thorns. Jesus gives the interpretation of what those thorns are. The choke that seed so it doesn't grow to fruition. There's pleasures and riches, but also care, anxious care. Spiritual priorities are to be our supreme affection, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Is that the first thing we think of? Do we face everything in life in terms of how is this, how does this relate to my service of God? Or do we let those things crowd him out? is our focus on heavenly treasure, on the lost around us that God wants us to reach as we serve him. Worry distracts us from all those things and makes us sadly fruitless in our Christian lives. Someone has said supreme affections can only be fixed on one object at a time. That's true, isn't it? Step back to verse 24 just before our passage which really we should have taken cognizance of before we started. We should have noticed it, because look at verse 25. It says, therefore I tell you, all that we're speaking of this evening in this passage is linked to what goes before. And what Jesus says in verse 24 is, you cannot serve two masters. 
Either we will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus already, before our passage, has been teaching us that we must have treasure in heaven only, not on earth. Take our eyes off the things we worry about on earth. Fix our treasure. It's treasure in heaven. Fix our eyes on one master. Don't let your problems be your master. He, he is your master. And therefore, he goes on to give us what we've been looking at, this detail here. Supreme affections must be fixed on one object at a time and that must be God and his kingdom. And we're to do that every day. We're to live in today and let tomorrow take care of itself instead of living a life of future fantasy. We've got to stop fantasizing about the future. don't know if you noticed about science fiction films. don't know if you're science fiction buffs, anybody here. Have you noticed that they're all dystopian futures. Have you heard that word? Dystopian futures. It's the opposite of utopia. You never seem to get a science fiction film that gives you a better future. Someone will tell me on the door you're wrong and they'll, they'll know more than I do. But I'm just, all the ones I've watched, they're always terrible futures. Frightening, suffering and injustice and awful things. Isn't that sadly how we often think about tomorrow as Christians? We imagine a dystopian future. And what we're doing is we're imagining a future without God in it and without grace in it. A world where everything goes wrong and I'm not going to be able to cope because we've, we've reckoned God out of the situation. Warren Wearsby says this, I've read enough about the past to know that people expect the future to be ominous and yet somehow we've all survived. He's right, isn't he? How many things have we worried about and wasted time on that never happened? Got to stop fantasizing. Warren Wearsby goes on to say this. I'm encouraged about the future because God is in it. God is in the future. Jesus promised the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. The future is our friend when Jesus is our Lord. Our God reigns. He still goes before his sheep and prepares the way. Our job is not to second guess him, but to follow him. He'll take care of the rest. And then he tells this lovely parable. There was a centipede and he was asked by an ant, how do you know which leg to move first? And the centipede pondered because he'd never thought about it before. And the more he thought about it, the more perplexed he got until he couldn't move at all. And Warren Wearsby says, that's us so often. We get so wrapped up in pondering the perplexities of the future that we don't seize the opportunities God gives us today and do the work needed right now. We're to live in today. Our worry is so often future fantasy. Factor, not factoring in God and His grace. That's atheism, my friends, isn't it? A world without God? Sam Albury, the preacher, says this. God does not inject hypothetical grace into our hypothetical nightmare fantasies. He only gives actual grace for actual life situations when they occur tomorrow. 
when we need it. So replaying future fantasies in our mind, imaginary situations where everything goes wrong, without God's presence and grace, is atheism. It's certainly unhelpful and dishonoring to God. C.S. Lewis said something similar as we close. Remember, one is given the strength to bear what happens, but not the 101 different things that might happen. And again, as we close, Jesus shows the way, doesn't he? In the Garden of Gethsemane, he faced the most fearful situation anybody could ever face. What did he do when fear was at its height? He turned to his Heavenly Father in prayer and entrusted himself to him. The Father he knew loved him. Surely that's the ultimate, isn't it? In seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Let's follow him. Let's follow Jesus and be like him. Worry is futile because we're precious to God and he will provide. Worry is faith shrinking. Let's look up to our great God for our faith to stretch so we can face the situations he brings to us in his wisdom. And worry is future fantasy. Let's live for today with the grace God gives us, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to us as well.